everyone, uh, welcome to Merlison. We are a bi-weekly podcast focusing on the BBC TV show Merlin that aired in 2008 where we talk about the episodes, the characters and the fandom in general. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Omotastic. Welcome. This week we're focusing on a character study. We're going to be the first of many and we're starting with the main character or one of the main two protagonists, Merlin. Yay! Who is just my fave. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, like, that's the professional part of the podcast. Done. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I, I, I have no chill when it comes to Merlin, but um, I'll let Momo go through some admin areas <laughs> of character first because I can't, <laughs> can't be well, controlled. Well, I'm, I'm confident that you will jump in and add your commentary as I go diligently through my script so that's but that's you know that's the point that's how we do it um just to add on about uh what we intend to do with this uh segment of character introductions yes so we are going to look at recurring characters or fan favorite characters there are a lot of characters in merlin and I'm pretty sure we're not going to run out before we reach the end of this podcast in many, many episodes and many, many years. Um, so we are going to talk about a character and talk about their progress throughout the series if they are, you know, recurring characters. Maybe the legends behind them if they have any base in the Arthurian legend. And how fandom works with these characters, how fandom tends to portray or use these characters in their creations. Let's hear some news. Nafic Rimo, the fanfic version of Nano Rimo, is still going on on LifeJournal in the following communities. Modern writers for any and all fic projects you're working on. Beneath the castle for any finished at fic projects you're working on and real magic in case you're already working on your real Merlin story. The Bottom Author Fest is still going on until Monday which if you're listening to this on the day it comes out is tomorrow November 20th. If you have any kind of Bottom Author content to share please do so and tag the bottom author Tumblr so they can reblog it and we can all revel in the bottomness of author. There is a Merlin Advent Calendar event happening across several platforms. Anyone can join in at any time, but you will have to sign up by the 30th of November on LifeJournal. We will link to the post where you can sign up. Camelot Drabble on LifeJournal is going to host their 6th annual Holiday Exchange Fest. Sign-ups will open on the 1st of December. Coinalot has announced that tickets for the convention will go on sale on the 1st of December. Weekend passes are going to cost £250 and special contributor badges will cost £50 apiece. Weekend passes are limited. There are only 39 tickets available. For more information on what each ticket includes, check out the post linked on our website. And finally, there is a new art game slash challenge on Tumblr. It's called the Merlin Telephone Art Game, or short tag. 
artists can sign up and then one of the artists is asked to start they will create a piece of fan art which they then email to the mods of the fest and the mods will find an artist on the list of signed up artists to send this piece of art to and then the next artist has two weeks to create a new fan art piece based on the one they received from the mods and then they send their new creation back to the mods and they will send it on to the next artist on the list and so on and so forth until all signed up artists have submitted a piece of fan art that was inspired by another piece of fan art and it's basically like the verbal telephone game thing where one person says something into another person's ear and then at the end of the row the last person has to say out loud what they heard and it's hilarious because it will be completely different and this is going to be the same thing except with fan art so for more information on the rules etc check out the post on tumblr that we are going to link to on our website and that's it for news and before you go any deeper into your many many feelings about Merlin, <laughs> you go for it you give me some stats <laughs> i i'm gonna um just because i did a little bit of research about you know uh, merlin as the arthurian legend merlin yes. so um first of all merlin is a welsh name and it means sea fortress or of the sea fortress and of course if there are any people who know way more welsh than i do please let me know and correct me i'm just getting i'm just basically you know trusting google here <laughs> <laughs> um in the show bbc's merlin he is the son of Huneth, who is a village farmer and Balinor, who was is a dragon lord and sorcerer from whom Merlin gets his powers, presumably. He grew up in Ialdor, which is a tiny, tiny village in the kingdom of Etzetir, and it's close to the border of Camelot. And he has been able to do magic since birth, opposed to many other sorcerers sorcerers and people with magic in this universe that have to actively learn magic although i'm really questioning that because you know over the course of the show we meet a lot of characters who just have magic so i'm thinking that this is kind of maybe just um uther propaganda telling people that having magic like doing magic is a choice rather than being born with magic which you know would go into the whole magic is an analogy for being um gay. for gay yeah gay or anything other than straight and then Uther basically being yeah well you chose to do magic slash be gay whereas you know people are just born with magic and depending on how they hone that gift or how strong the magic is inside them they can choose to ignore it or you know try to try to practice it and refine it like in the case of Morgana where she has a lot of magic and she loses control over it because she's not learning how to control it so anyway Merlin has been able to do magic since birth floating around his stuffed toys or well probably not stuffed toys given the time period but you know 
um, levitating things before he could walk. So yeah, he was sent to Camelot by his mother because she was hoping to keep him out of trouble in the Elder. But of course, I have to question Hunus, um, you know, motherly instincts or whatever, because why would you send your magical son to a place where he'll be burnt at the stake for things he can't change about himself? Yeah. That's <laughs> like A plus parenting. Well, you know, at least at least uh, the villagers, you know, won't won't Ooh, pick yeah. on Merlin. <laughs> A class logic there. Um, yeah. So let's let's not get into it. <laughs> he is known among the Druids as Emrys, and Emrys means immortal one, which of course, given that he's still alive in the twenty first century, at the very end of the show is pretty literal. After he arrives in Camelot, he becomes Prince Arthur's manservant because he saved his life, mostly by accident, from a witch. And then Uther is like, well, you know, I want to reward you for saving my son's life, so be his servant. The Merlin Vicky puts Merlin at 18 when Hunith sent him to Camelot. I personally had canon him somewhere between 16 and 18, so maybe a little bit younger than the, the I was about to say official source, but the wiki is not an official source. But yeah, so I had canon him a little bit younger in season one, mostly because I want him to be a couple years younger than Arthur for my own selfish reasons. Colin himself was 22 years old at the beginning of the show. Which, you know, he looks like such a baby. And I mean, 22, especially, you know, um, now that I'm 30, 22 is such a baby, but still. Yeah, but I'm just thinking, like, I'm now 24, and I think he was just about to turn 23 or something. And literally, like, when I was 23, and I kind of, because of when, when the show started, I was watching it at, like, 17. So I was like, oh, 23, like, oh, he's so old. Like, And now, like, when the show's finished, and it's been a few years, like, looking back, thinking like he got his first big gig at 23 and i'm like that is insane he was so young you think when you're set when you're a teenager you think oh my goodness like these actors are like you know getting their big roles at like in their 20s that's so late and now you're like oh no it's not and he was really lucky to get that actually <laughs> so yeah there's a really cool um meta entry on ao3 about the birth dates of some of the characters in Merlin and their supposed ages in canon but yeah merlin somewhere probably 17 18 ish when he comes to to camelot for the first time so that just as a brief little um cv about merlin's life up to the first episode and um maybe let's talk about all the things Merlin can do his abilities. Yes. I won't mention the uh, more adult abilities. The more adult abilities? Adult abilities. Yes. Not adult. No, <laughs> adult. The more adult abilities. What are the more adult abilities? Well, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, his magic could definitely help him with lack of a gag reflex is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's 
That's fanfic abilities. That's... Oh, sorry. I didn't realize they weren't the same thing. <laughs> no, we're talking about Merlin's abilities that are strictly, uh, you know, displayed on the show still. We're not on in the fandom part of this episode yet. Damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, he... It's... It's intrinsic, right? It's not. Uh, it's hard, It's kind of part of who he is, but he can enhance it by uh, learning and and knowledge. So that's kind of where we stand. But it's never really explained, is it? Yeah, it's like the first time we see him do magic, it's very much instinctive. He just slows down time and moves an object at the same time um, to save Gaius from breaking his neck. And then later we see him learn spells from the book of spells that Gaius gives him. And again, I'm I'm going to talk about this more in the next episode when we do the review for Valiant, when Merlin actually does this for the first time, like learn a spell from the book of spells. Um, but he never really does this after season one. Like I think the book of spells even disappears. I I don't think I've ever. <laughs> Have, oh God, have we right. <laughs> have we seen it after season one? Um, I can I can't remember off the top of my head, so I might be wrong. But uh, I feel like the Book of Spells just sort of no, it is in season three because Gaius the Goblin brings it out for the court to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but then it's still it's been gone for an entire season probably. Um, so and like even the Book of Spells is in the first season, it's only ever used when Merlin needs it to figure out how to defeat a monster or um, I think he uses it once in the episode when he tr when he heals Gwen's father to make the poultice. Um, that's I think he used it for that but that's the I think the only time he used it for anything other than helping Arthur not die. <laughs> so and it's just you know um, he doesn't he doesn't really develop his magic beyond learning a few spells and it's just it's constantly stated that Merlin's the most powerful wizard of his time or even all time and we don't really see much progress for that like thinking back to the first episode to the pilot Mary Collins okay she disappears in a whirlwind and she shapeshifts we see him shape. -shift. Yeah, he does shape shift. Okay, but it takes it, a lot out. It of does, him. and he he needs the the potion to turn back, while Mary Collins has to. No, I okay. I it's not you know, uh, portrayed whether she has to do anything to keep the shape of uh, Lady Helen, but still, uh, Merlin has to take a potion to shift back because he does not have the energy to shift himself or the ability to shift himself back to his normal self at least the first time he turns into Dragoon I would the Great. Like, on that note though, what might be interesting to add is that Lady um, no yeah, Mary, Mary, Collins. That's it, yeah. Mary Collins is she, I think maybe what we have a difference here is perhaps like light versus dark magic and also on that note she was taking the form of somebody else which who she had murder to for, yeah. murder yeah, and so she then could take her form, um, and she had like that voodoo doll. So I feel like maybe it's just a case of light versus uh, like dark magic having like maybe no bounds, and light magic having maybe more bounds th like than that. And obviously with Merlin, like he actually 
I think he was also like aging himself, which is quite like a hard spell. And I think that's probably where it is. Like she was transforming into somebody, but um, I mean, obviously you can't really compare the two, but she was like transforming into somebody completely different. Okay, and, um, but what he was what's doing it with potions. evil magicy about you know turning yourself into a whirlwind and disappearing. I mean, I I feel like that is something that evil even uh, good. Uh, magic users should be able to do at a certain level of power. Like, I mean, even Morgana, who then turns evil and and presumably uses evil magic or even more ghosts, they never disappear in a whirlwind. And I'm just like, why couldn't Merlin have done this? You know, we see more advanced magic from a one-off character in the first episode than from Merlin. <laughs> I feel like it's just one of those things that, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the writers thought that we were less interested in that and more interested in him as a person, which I guess is true because we, you know, we only kind of realize that through us having conversations on Skype. Hang on, actually, he doesn't really advance. And I think also probably I would imagine that part of that is budget and like CGI, which obviously probably would cost quite a lot to do on a regular basis. But um, yeah, it would be nice to see a bit more of that as opposed to just kind of tropey ridiculousness um, for sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, absolutely. one excuse I could think of you know, in the writer's defense <laughs> is that Merlin never really has a teacher either because Gaius is definitely not willing to teach Merlin anything. Like, the only thing Gaius really does to advance Merlin's magical abilities is give him the book. And he never does anything beyond it. Like, Gaius is very much the conceal-don't-feel type of mentor. He's like, don't do magic. Unless it's absolutely warranted as a last-ditch effort, we will all die if you don't use it. At least in the beginning, he gets a lot more likes about, oh, just use magic to save him or whatever as it progresses. But still, he's very much, you know, don't do anything with magic because you might be discovered for using magic. So Merlin doesn't really have anyone to teach him. The only person who... Might have taught him, might have been his dad, but, you know, he meets his dad and then immediately loses him, so who he's not going to teach him anything. His mother doesn't know anything about magic, so she couldn't have taught him. Nobody else in the village has magic, even though Esetir is magic-friendly as a country, but Merlin never knew any other magic users uh, in his years before Camelot, and then in Camelot... The only magical people he meets, for the most part, are either as inexperienced as uh, he is, or they are evil people, like Edwin. I mean, Merlin latched onto Edwin just because Edwin offered to teach Merlin more magic. And then it turns out that Edwin, Edwin is just as bad as other magic users have been up to this point, and Merlin is just really disheartened and disappointed, and just he, there is no one who would teach him like even like even Kilgara like the only thing Kilgara does is tell Merlin we'll find a magical solution I think the only spell Kilgara ever teaches Merlin is the one to um, reclaim Cornelius Segan's soul and put it back into the crystal and even that he only gives to Merlin in exchange for the promise to free him so Kilgara 
while being constantly like, well, you're the greatest sorcerer that ever lived and your destiny is to lead Arthur into the golden age of Albion. He never actually helps Merlin achieve that goal even by just, you know, telling him more about magic and about what his abilities are and how he can go about learning more about them. I'm just like, ah! I feel like maybe that kind of, because like you said, apart from Mary Collins, we don't really see many magic users in the show that have amazingly better abilities than men. Like they're all basically kind of on the same level. So I'm thinking perhaps what makes him unique and the greatest sorcerer to have ever walked the earth is that for him, it's instinctive. Morgos, I think, you know, studied or whatever and practices morgana learned from yeah but Morgos. morgana Edwin, also had magic powerful magic i mean she made things catch on fire while sleeping you know morgana does yeah, have powerful like, magic learned, but yeah. she knows yeah. even less she how to learned, control yeah. it than merlin until morgos takes her in and teaches her so i feel like what makes him unique maybe is the fact that he like it's kind of I don't know, because I feel like, you know, her magic was intrinsic as well, but it's, it's like you said, it's very out of control. So I'm thinking maybe that's what makes him unique because he is unique in that sense. You know, he doesn't, he, he's not a danger onto others or to himself necessarily. And it doesn't kind of make him go mad like it does her, like, you know, it kind of messes her head and things like that. So maybe that's kind of what it, what it means in that, in that sense that he's much more, uh, predisposed to it and can use it and obviously then learns from the book of spells more advanced stuff but maybe kind of i'm thinking now that we've kind of spoken about it more in terms of like i feel like all these other magic users probably had some kind of education especially if they're druids like because that's well they learned from their from their parents in some way uh just to tag on onto you know merlin being instinctively like instinctively using his magic only for good because that's the kind of person he is and the kind of person he was raised to be. Um, someone made this uh, made this point on Tumblr and I'm sorry I forgot who it was or even if it was just um, a one-off text post or in response to anything but um, they pointed out that um, at the end of season 5 after Merlin gets back his magic um, you know in the cave where Morgana put him so he would lose his magic and then he gets it back and the first thing he does is not any kind of you know violence or anything you know destructive the first thing he does is create a butterfly like yeah he creates life and he creates not just life but also beautiful fragile life because a butterfly you know butterfly is so easy to to hurt or uh, to destroy and it's also especially the blood butterfly he created the little blue one you know it's just <laughs> it's just <laughs> you know uh, he creates life that is beautiful and fragile and absolutely harmless that could never hurt anyone or anything you know because even after 10 years and after everything and i i'm we're gonna talk about maybe how merlin uh as a character becomes you know um morally grayer over the years he still has this uh innocence inside him 
and this innocence is his magic in its raw form and it just manifests in such a beautiful way and i think that's just that's just gorgeous <laughs> it was a really that was such a beautiful choice like one of the few things i'm gonna praise the writers on <laughs> especially in later seasons is the decision to have merlin create that butterfly instead of tearing down the walls of the cave uh to free himself first thing you know <laughs> now i've given rock some fields <laughs> I just like because he deserves yeah. better, and like, and I've already like... touched on this because the next part of uh, this episode is Merlin's personality and character, and I've already started in on this. So in the yeah. beginning, he's a sass he's a sass master. master, but also he's like you know he's cheeky and friendly and loyal, and he likes to help people. And he's also a little bit, you know, a little bit quirky and and weird and different, but in all the all the best ways. Um, but there's also, I feel like even from the beginning, there's a little bit of a, well, I don't want to say dark side because dark would imply that you know dark things are bad things. So I I prefer to say evil, but it's also not really evil. Maybe morally gray is the right um, turn of phrase here. So there's also this already gray area in his characterization because you know um he doesn't really show like even in the first season he doesn't show much remorse or even any remorse for killing evil people or people he perceives as evil people but you know uh he lets the chandelier drop on mary collins in the first episode you know he has to have assumed that it would kill her if a massive chandelier with some spikes on it drops on it on her um and it just goes on and then um as we covered in the episode review i do statistics uh i did statistics while rewatching merlin and i actually counted he kills more than 20 people during the course of the show not counting his major attack in the last battle or any you know bandits or enemy knights that he might have killed during larger battles attacks or just by you know helping Arthur and the knights kill more people so just 20 over 20 characters whose names we knew or who we've seen him actively kill and 20 might not seem a lot compared to Arthur or other characters who kill way more than that but for a single character like Merlin who is the main character of a show who is constantly um, portrayed as the good guy as the one who makes maybe not the right choices but at least choices for all the best reasons that he thinks are the best reasons killing 20 people and more and not visibly having remorse like he never like but no it's just ah, you know even him. if they were bad guys <laughs> I, I just feel like taking a person's life is can't be that easy i mean for author even author shows more remorse over killing people than merlin does i mean it, he doesn't do it often and, and the most um iconic scene is in season 
before uh, with the with the ghost of the druid boy when Arthur tells the story about how he led this attack on the druid camp when he was 16. Oh yeah, that's in episode 10. And yeah, then, um, and then, exactly. And then Eliane, so like, Arthur shows remorse for yeah, killing yeah. people in that episode. And then, I don't know if there's if there are other episodes where he really shows remorse, but Merlin never has an episode or even a scene, a moment where we really see him regret killing people, even if it was the only thing he could have done to to save Arthur. But he just, he almost ruthlessly kills these people because, you know, it's in his mind. It's either kill them or let Arthur die. But I think that's what it is because I, th like, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever seen Merlin have like a pre like time to think about killing it's always very much in the moment so yeah, either but, in a battle but what or about it just the aftermath so i mean if he doesn't you know did it for him not to think about killing them in that moment i get it you know with um with sophia and her father when uh when sophia is about to to drown arthur that merlin uh, kills them you know in that moment i get it you know, because you're in that moment, it's the heat of the moment, and if you don't do something now in self-defense, or in defense of Arthur, then Arthur is gonna die, or Merlin himself is gonna die, or someone he cares about is going to die. But what about afterwards? You know, and I mean, of course, the episode usually ends after Merlin has killed someone. <laughs> but I just, I just wish yeah. that at some point the writers would have taken the time to add a scene, even just a scene in any episode where Merlin is like, I wish, like, I'm I'm having nightmares about killing that person. You know, that, that like, even a one-off sentence like that, Merlin having slept badly and Gaius being like, what are the bags under your eyes about? And then Merlin's like, well, I dreamt that I had a nightmare again about killing whoever. You know, that just would have shown me as a consumer that Merlin thinks about the people and creatures, you know, sentient creatures that he's killed and not just kills them and moves on. I find it makes, I don't know, I think, like, for me as a consumer, it makes me see him as much more of an interesting character that he doesn't have that remorse and that makes him different because I feel like we always see that side of characters where they oh i had to do it i didn't have a choice but merlin is like yeah i didn't have a choice but you know what i did it because arthur was more important or morgana was more important or whatever and that's and that's a choice he makes and i think that's really like yeah but then i mean in, yes in a character to but have also that. that then opens up the question of where does it end you know because as we as we see as we know from because we've all seen the show um Merlin is ready to... I mean, he does show hesitance when he has to kill or poison Morgana to to stop the the, the, the sleeping yeah, and sickness in Camelot. Like, like yeah. that's one thing, one time where I'm like, okay, he hesitates because he cares about Morgana. He doesn't want to hurt her because it's not Morgana's fault that this is happening. But also, if he doesn't kill Morgana... Then many, many more people, including Arthur and everyone else he cares about, will die. So, but still, but he's still. 
I would say he's a lot more like I say he's broken by that. He's absolutely broken by having to do that. And we see we see the implications of that later in season three. He feels act like he feels guilt the entire time they're looking for her because he loved her as well. So he didn't want her. But I but I think that's that's something that they did consistently with him throughout the show is that the people he loves and the people that are important to him, he doesn't ever want them to get hurt. And so when he has to be the one to hurt them, he like that scene with Morgana I think is so beautiful and like when he's holding her as she's dying and you can see he just wants to die like he doesn't want to do it but i just think it uh i mean i can see what you're saying that it's unrealistic like especially for the kind of innocent character that he's portrayed to be but i think it's extremely interesting that he doesn't care about the lives um, of people that don't matter to him even with um having to kill morgana i'm like Again, this is a heat of the moment. I don't have time to do anything else. But, you know, Merlin is, and he knows this, he is the most powerful sorcerer of his age, of his time, maybe of all times. He he is aware of this status. And even if he doesn't know his entire the entire scope of his powers yet, for him not to try to break the spell, the curse, any other way before, you know, committing to poisoning Morgana. It's just, I'm like, you know, you're so... Well, he's... Yeah, but he Excuse asked, me, but at this point, he already knows uh, not to Kilgara, trust Kilgara. You know, of course he asked Kilgara, and Kilgara's like, well, the witch has to die. You know, and Merlin, Merlin already mistrusts Kilgara at this point in the show because this this trust was broken at the end of season one already and this is season two so you know more but like i feel that like, because obviously in season one morgana has given merlin reason to distrust her already and he's no very not in season one already in season in... two because of all the stuff well except well yeah because yeah uh, but she, uh, because of her killing uther like, like that she's got like a like a bit of a but kind of at this point in time, like Merlin is very much of the same opinion as Morgana. Like the only reason he stops Morgana from killing Uther is not for Uther's sake; it's for Morgana's sake. He agrees with Morgana that Uther is terrible, and if Gwen hadn't said that killing Uther doesn't make a difference to her either way. Merlin, like, if Gwen had said, yeah, I want Uther dead, Merlin would have let Morgana go through with me. And this ties in into what uh, you are going to say in the next episode, <laughs> which we recorded before this episode, um, about Gwen being uh, very much the moral compass in the group. Because if in this moment Gwen hadn't said, it doesn't make any difference to me whether Uther lives or dies, because if he dies nothing changes for me my father will still be dead Merlin is like shit you're right but and then he realizes I assume in this moment that it might not make a difference to Gwen whether Uther lives or dies but it will make a difference to Morgana to have killed him it will change Morgana as a person and so he saves or he attempts to save because then the the other thing happens and Morgana decides not to kill him Um, but he goes out to save Morgana from herself. This is very much about Merlin wanting to save Morgana from herself, not someone else from Morgana. So I think at the end of, of season one, he still very much 
cares about Morgana and believes in her goodness, even though he knows that she has a temper and she is capable of uh, killing other people, but he still believes that, you know, she's like him. She kills bad people. She doesn't kill good people. But I think that's where I'm getting at, is that he's got that, you know, in in season one, he's seen she is capable of doing this. In season two, even though he's vehemently defending her, and for, for a good reason, because she's not done anything wrong yet, you know, he says, you know, Kilgara from episode three says she is trouble you should not help her with her magic da, 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 da. and he's defending her but he's already got that seed in his mind by the witch's quickening uh he's already suspicious of her he's listening at her door what is she doing with mordred mordred's bad they're meant to be pairing up blah blah, blah. kilgara you know and all that you know kind of leads up to something so when kilgara stands and obviously he's suspicious of more goes as well like and i think he kind of maybe i don't think he knows that they're working together but he's probably like what is all this going on when he stands there and says what do i do about this spell and kilgara's like you must eradicate the source it's morgana he's like it can't be it can't be but you can see on his face he knows he knows that he's telling the truth so i think that he's like well you know i think that he's in denial but i think he absolutely knows that it's right she is the source there's nothing else i can do i think and also because at the time he probably because he does actually hang on he does try doesn't he he has that scene where he tries to wake up Gaius and he just sits up and he doesn't move and he's like not sentient so he tries using his book to do that and like all these different spells but then but by the time they're in that great hall and they're tearing up those sheets they're about they're about to die like 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 this is their time to die so he's like well it's either her or Arthur like and that's pretty much the like there, yeah, there is no he contest. tries to revive poison ah, yes. that's it you know but again he does not try to you know break the curse at the source except with poison so you know he knows he has to go to the source so why doesn't he go to morgana and try to but of course then he would have had to out himself to morgana i suppose and it was just easier to poison her than let her know that he has magic so yeah i can i can you know rant about this <laughs> I'm so, but as you can see, I have, a, I have a willful blind spot when it comes to my baby. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> He's like perfect in my eyes. Um, but I just wanted to say, like, just this one kind of thing before it goes out of my head. Like, in terms of his character development, like, I feel like I am shocked because I'm pretty analytical when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know. And I am so surprised that, you know, the writers are not good writers, but. The way that they wrote him, or the way that Colin portrayed him, I do think a lot of it is down to Colin. Like, we give him most of the credit for the way that Merlin kind of evolved. I think that what's so fascinating is that I didn't notice how Merlin was changing until I went back to watch older episodes. And I think that is so wonderful that they managed to do that. Like, maybe not with his magic. Like, he doesn't really get that much better with his magic. But his attitude towards life, his place in the world and what he wants out of life and out of the world you don't even notice how much it changes i personally didn't it just slowly and slowly starts getting bleaker and bleaker for him and the one episode that like and w when we get to this one i'm gonna just be so excited to talk about it because the sorcerer's shadow 311 oh my goodness when gimli comes uh so Gilly, sorry, not Gimli. Lord of the Rings. I'm so sorry. I've got too much fantasy on my mind. When Gilly, that's a stupid name anyway, comes into the 
equation and when they have that and like at first i was like oh what kind of bullshit episode is this like fucking filler episode like bullshit and then when they actually had that argument and he and he says to him you know uh you don't understand i'm nothing without these powers people think they can kick dirt in my face i'm nothing and he's like you need to use your magic for good that is what it's there for you cannot behave like this this is not what you were born for and i literally got chills because i was like oh my god and i actually went and vidded it and compared it to gaius saying the exact same thing to merlin in the dragon's call and i literally thought i was going to die i was like how have we come to this beautiful moment (laughs) and i'm just like right but i'm just like so like thrilled that we had that for him and obviously we've spoken about this at coin a lot 2016 but the fact that like you know merlin start and again you really have to go and watch these older episodes to kind of get this because it's you know it, it 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 changes so much but he's like i want arthur to trust me i want him to see who i to see me for who i really am i want you know to be known when will people know that i'm this powerful sorcerer like those first few episodes of season one are me 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 like that's all i care about is like being recognized having this great power this great destiny and as we know by the end he just looks so tired right like i'm sure you'll agree he just he's so tired with it all and he doesn't care anymore all he cares about is making sure that this horrible bleak destiny that is awaiting arthur and his doom especially when he finds out about his you know death a premonition in season five it's all about keeping him safe it's all about making sure there's no attacks on camelot it's all about making sure arthur you know becomes king and it becomes all about him now whether that's healthy or not we can discuss that in a minute but i just think it's just so wonderful how it's just so believable that after all the shit he goes through it's like like you know he's so optimistic and like yeah yeah one day everyone will know who i am and then he comes to realize no one will know who I am. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm never going to get the recognition I want. It's never going to happen for me. And it's so tragic, but it's wonderful at the same time. As you can see, I love me some tragedy. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. My favorite film is Titanic. So you should, you know, that should surprise anybody. But I mean, w- w- what do you think about uh, that whole kind of journey I think that I, he goes on? You know, you pretty much said most of it like you don't you don't really notice him changing because it's so gradual over the course of the seasons when you just watch it especially if you you know watched it as it aired it's not really that noticeable it might be more noticeable when you binge watch it and it's definitely noticeable when you you know you come off the end of season five the second half of season five and then start at the beginning again just to see the change like the difference between um a happy-go-lucky let's say 17 year old merlin and a battle-worn disillusioned 27 year old merlin who has gone through a lot of crap at this point of time who has made a lot of sacrifices who has probably lost pieces of his soul because um he he lost friends he lost family he had to make hard choices he has been betrayed and he has made a ton of wrong decisions that he thought were the right decisions and it's just uh <laughs> It's just, you know, he's just 
Yeah. I just, oh my God. It's so tragic, but it's so good. Like it hurts so good. And like my, I think again, this was a Tumblr post. If you wrote it, please, you know, come tell us. But I remember it's something I never picked up on because I never of it. These, these two episodes are not back to back, but when, um, obviously there are very few people, uh, important characters that, discover that Merlin has magic Lancelot being one of them we'll get to that at some point but uh when when Agravain finds out he has magic he says you have magic and he says I was born with it and then in the death song of Uther Pendragon when Uther finally finds out that he had magic and he screams I was born with it and you the difference between those two they're only like they're barely a season apart but the pain in his voice when he says I was born with it it's almost like you know like when he's when Agravain says it and he replies, he's like, yeah, bitch, like, you know, get ready for some, you know, action. And then in season five where, you know, he's already had the premonition about Arthur's death. He's already gone through infinitely bigger shit at the end of, you know, the sword in the stone is old dying, all this, all this horrible stuff. And the way he just screams it says, I was born with it. It's like he's saying, and I wish I hadn't been. Because then this, none of this would have, you know, happened. And we, it's so, because Arthur obviously doesn't know about any of this. He doesn't get to see Merlin's pain ever. And even in the last episode, there wasn't enough time for him to truly see how broken Merlin was because of all of this. He doesn't get to share any of his pain. So for him to take it out on Uther in that way was just so beautiful. And like, like again, it's just like from being proud to have this gift to just being like burdened by it and just feeling the way, and I'm just getting so emotional. <laughs> he just, oh, can I, I want so many talkbacks with this episode because I just feel like there are, like, I feel like the whole fandom just agrees that he is so exhausted with it all, just legitimately physically tired with all the expectations that he is, forced to live with and not being able to share a thing with anyone i mean can you imagine having to keep all of that in your entire life and not share it with the person you love the most like just wanting to scream at him i love you so much and i do all of this for you and i can't deal with it anymore and it's just like it's it gets dark but without meaning to it just kind of happened and it's so good <laughs> all right let's let's move on a little bit um, because as we have demonstrated, we can talk about Merlin, Merlin's character development over the course of five seasons for hours. But um, let's have a look at the Merlin from the legends, the Arthurian legends. Um, I made a few notes about this. Um, so in the Arthurian legend, Merlin is King Arthur's tutor and advisor. And Arthur very much knows that Merlin has magic, opposed to, you know, this version where he doesn't. And Arthur is, um, of course, also Merlin is usually portrayed as an old man, thus casting him in the role of the teacher who teaches a young prince or king how to be a good king. Um, so there are different... Um, like origin stories for legendary Merlin. Um, he's the son of a Demetian princess who was impregnated by an incubus, which would make him half demon, I suppose. Um, some legends say that it was a fairy or the devil or an angel who impregnated Merlin's mother, whoever she was. Some say that he was simply blessed by God with seeing the future on top of all his other abilities, apparently. 
Um, the legends usually say that he died when the Lady of the Lake captured him, that she stole his magic and then trapped him in a cave, or, alternatively, it wasn't the Lady of the Lake, it was Morgan Le Fay who seduced him and then turned herself into an oak tree and trapped him there for all eternity. Either way, however he died or disappeared, it's usually his death or disappearance that causes Arthur's downfall. Much like... In you the know, show. In the <laughs> show when uh, Morgana, Morgana traps him in a cave and takes away all his magical powers. And then uh, Merlin's too late to save Arthur from Mordred. Yeah. So Also, I would like to point out, because obviously you have uh, like the first appearance of... Or one of the most famous appearances of all of these characters is in La Morte d'Arthur, which is obviously the really, really long book written by... Mallory and um but kind of the version of Merlin that I feel like is kind of used a lot in pop culture and especially in like the Disney movie is the Merlin aging backwards through time which is from the Once and Future King which is that kind of slightly wacky like not like his portrayal in the Once and Future King isn't as wacky as it is in the like in the in the movie but is it's that white uh, is that th white Once and Future King yeah yeah okay. yeah that's mm-hmm. right and uh it's uh yeah, so it's or it's like it's similar to how Lord of the Rings is, where it's technically three books, but the but it's meant to be like one like one kind of volume, and the the sword and the stone is yeah the part that we see um in the Disney movie, but yeah it's this kind of uh, thing where he yeah so you you get all the references to him having known what's happened in the future like, and like all the Bermuda stuff and everything like that, but um I feel like Merlin just in general is seen as just in general, like a very shady character like very much not to be trusted very much in has a has his fingers in all the pies basically i don't know if it's in all the versions of the legend or just one or some that he was the one who changed uther's appearance so that he could um that's right. That he could have yes, sex with Igraine, who was he already did. married to married to someone else, and it was yes, Merlin yes. who did this for Uther, so that Uther could shag someone else's wife was, without I being be- found uh, out. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I I believe that started in Lamort de Arthur, but I also I also think because um my favorite version of the legend is the the mists of avalon and i am rereading it this year but i read it when i was a teenager so i can't remember but i feel like that also happens in that so i think it's a trope that comes back and back uh but yeah that's kind of like the the shady origins of arthur's birth which obviously they kind of took parts of that and put it into the show so yeah 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 so there we have it and finally um you know almost an hour into this podcast um we want to talk about Merlin in fanworks. Yes. So I just I I made a, a a relatively short list about really common tropes that I have observed over the course of uh what is it two and a half years of um reading Merlin fanfic and um this is very much a uh scoot view because i mostly read modern au's plus you know in canon au's like you yeah and you use the tropes from from the show like you know you either you write something that is a timestamp of 
you know of the of the show or you write an AU to the show where um things turn out differently because there was a magic reveal earlier yeah or you write <laughs> a complete canon AU where they have different roles and then usually Merlin is not a servant but either a uh a druid royal basically yeah. or any ca- other kind of magical royal so that i think feel like are the most common tropes so what i'm listing here is like what i've observed especially in modern AUs, which is which i think is interesting just to see how the you know merling's characteristics from from the canon show are interpreted to fit the modern like how it would work in the in the 21st century so something i've observed that you know merlin when he has a job he is often shown as either an artsy or hipster type in modern au's um with the artsy and hipster being the metaphor for having magic or being different like no matter if it's a non-magical or a magical au you know being artsy is often like a little bit the the alternative or the 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 mark of being magical for Merlin, like Mogos will often have some affinity for art or something. I I know I'm um, guilty of making Morgana a bit of an eccentric art collector. Either he's artsy or hipster, or maybe he does some kind of caretaking, like a nurse, a doctor, or even a vet. Drastically redefining protocol. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry what? Drastically redefining protocol is like the biggest tongue twister ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because obviously he was Gaius's apprentice on the show, so you know, make him something medical related in modern AU. Um, sometimes he's a teacher, again, referencing the legends where he literally was Arthur's teacher, or even the show where he tries sort of indirectly to teach Arthur how to be a decent human being. <laughs> or of course the most popular is being author's assistant or employee because uh naturally that's the equivalent to being a manservant. Um and I feel like those just work so well. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. Yes. I, yeah, I often like find it really interesting to see what role people are gonna put both of them in. I just find it really interesting. And um I what you're gonna say next about the his preferences as well i find it very interesting uh what people write him as because i'm not like uh i just i get a little irked when he's written as um like gay because he clearly like fancies a lot of women in the show which like whatever because like obviously morgana and gwen like canonically from what we understand um you know it's not like they're going to give us bisexual characters in a 2008 Merlin, you know, like they're written as straight from what we know. So obviously they're sometimes shown to be queer, which is completely fine. But I feel like it just kind of irks me a little bit because Arthur, because he married Gwen and everything is almost always the bisexual one if there is a bisexual character and Merlin almost never is. And I'm just like, ugh, why? (laughs) Yeah. So what I was about to say (laughs) is that he's often portrayed as uh as queer in some way uh gay bi pan pan is i think pretty common for him sometimes even um some form of gender queerness but usually with a preference for men 
Yeah, but he even in modern AUs, he's usually um, often, you know, with a fluid sexuality. But naturally, since like the most popular pairings are usually slash pairings, he usually has a preference uh, for men. Which brings me, I did some digging on AO3 earlier uh, because. As I've mentioned about a hundred times now, I love statistics. And um, his, like the people he gets most often paired with, and this is both from my experience and also backed up by AO3, are in in the correct order from, you know, most popular to least popular, and I'm only just listing a handful. Arthur, Morgana, Gwen, Freya, Mordred, Gwen, Lancelot. Please note how this is always alternating male and female. I am shooketh that Gwen is not higher than Morgana. No, it's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna back this up with statistics now. Also, I also put down Will as a love interest, and I'm surprised that Merlin doesn't have more fix where he's paired with Will. But I'm gonna get into that in a second. So there are twenty nine thousand four hundred ninety three works on Ao three tagged with the character tag. For Merlin, there are also, and some of these might overlap, um, but there are also 16,400 and more works with Merlin in some kind of pairing. And I did a lot of digging because um, in the AO3 search, uh, it will only show you like the 10 most popular pairings. And also, even if you do the um, the extended search and, and put a lot of work into it like I did, you still have to dig really deep to find uh, more than like 20, 30 pairings for Merlin if you, you know, apply um, some specific uh, searches. So um, I found over 40 combinations in which Merlin is put into some kind of pairing. Um, sometimes with more than one other person. Like I, I think the one I seen the most was like uh, nine, but that's because the person listed like every single night, <laughs> plus a few <laughs> other characters for one of those smart orgy fakes. But um, I'm sorry, I just, <laughs> a sentence is amazing. Um, so. Single. Um, if I had put in the time to really, you know, check every character that appears on Merlin to see if there's a, a, a fake with Merlin slash that character. For example, I didn't check if there's any Gilly slash Merlin or any Daigle slash Merlin or, you know, other a bunch of other minor characters. Um, there would probably weigh more than just uh, 43 or 44 that I checked. So um, the top five pairings... Um, including Merlin, are, of course, Merlin Arthur, with 12,624 works. There are also 902 Merlin slash Morgana works. And, of course, what you have to keep in mind is that some of these works might overlap. They'll overlap, Because, yeah, you know, sometimes there's pairing. Merlin has had a past pairing, or uh, it's a poly pairing, or whatever. You know, but uh, roughly this number. Then you have Exactly 800 Gwen slash Merlin fix as of today, October 1st, 2017. It was exactly 800 Gwen slash Merlin fanfics. And then you have a drastic drop down to 352 fix for Freya slash Merlin. 
And then again, uh, a drop to 255 for Merlin slash Mordred. And that's only thanks to, like, that is basically that many for season five. So that is quite impressive, actually, for yeah. one season. Like, well, I'm sure there are some that are, you know, Mordred, with a much younger Mordred. But we're not, I'm, I didn't check that thoroughly. Um, but yeah, the majority from of that will probably be modern AU type of grown up Mordred or season five Mordred. Um, there were a lot of threesomes or more sums, like you know the nine people, and that one thing. And I'm gonna put up the whole statistic that I dug up on on AO3. There are like um two, four, six, seven more pairings. With numbers in the hundreds, like Merlin slash Will has 110 words, which really surprised me. I thought there'd be more, even for just Merlin slash Will as a background or past pairing, you know. Oh, maybe, yeah. I was never a fond of that pairing. Just, I mean, just I in used general. it in, in one story and I tagged it for I tagged for it because it plays a major part in that story. But, you know, and then it just it drops down to the 60s and even further down. And then um, I think the... There were actually uh, five or four stories Kilgara slash Merlin. Um, so, you know, there are some in there that are interesting, like um, Merlin Morgana Uther or um, Gaius Quain, Merlin Arthur. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of fanfic to be found on AO3. And like I said, I'm going to put up the whole statistics on um a3 where we're posting this and probably also tumblr yeah so but kind of like, there you have to it kind of like wrap up the shipping part of it like for merlin i'm gonna ask you apart from merlin and arthur what would you like if you could pick like any other ship for him or any various other ships what would you say are your fave apart from like the merlin Gwen, arthur merlin. it would be it would have yeah, to be definitely. no wayne because um like if i didn't love Merlin Arthur so much I'd really be shipping Merwain mine is for sure like m like Merlin and Gwen for me is just like I'm so sad there's not more <laughs> <laughs> because it's literally like the perfect thick yeah, fodder it's, pairing it's, it's only the sixth favorite pairing with Merlin it's it's at 168 stories on AO3 are Gwen Merlin and... and Merlin and Lancelot like I'm just I don't know if we have a ship episode for them however I'm just gonna quickly like they just like have something about them that I love and I think it's him knowing his magic but I'm just gonna quickly point this out because in the coming of Arthur part two when they both go together to like like get the cup or whatever they're meant to do together like and arthur's like oh okay so you're gonna do that and then he hears the warning bell which means bad news like basically oh no that's it they're meant to go and disable the warning bell that's it and he hears the warning bell and he just goes what on earth are those two doing <laughs> and like super hot i was like yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> snogging in a closet <laughs> i don't think so i was like oh my my heart and like how Lancelot's the only one that really knows his true worth and just feels so. Yeah, those two for me are like my secondary. Like, but you can ship Merlin with everyone. You like, can, literally. you really can ship Merlin with everyone, as um, evidenced by this list. So, okay, finally, Rex. Yes, you start because this time I you have, have some. <laughs> I have three, three bidding Rex for y'all. Um, 
they're all very old uh, because, like I said in the in the first episode, no one really vids Merlin anymore apart from me, and I've not done a Merlin character study in a while. So this is like character Merlin, like based on what we're talking about in this episode. So the first one is by a vidder called Special as You, and she's not been active for years. This is seven years old. This vid, I can't believe it. Um, but it's called uh, I'm Breaking. I can't do this on my own, which I don't. I I don't think this is the name of the song. I think this is just what she's called the video. Um, and uh, it's one minute and 31 seconds long. It's fantastic. It's just basically him about his kind of inner demons and inner struggles. And I don't think it goes past like season two or something. So it's quite an old one, but uh, it's uh, really wonderful. And it deals with the whole, do you know what it's like to be a monster kind of thing, which we haven't really touched upon, but that's that. Uh, we're going to link all these so you don't have to worry about finding any any of this on youtube another one is by a youtuber called pobelex and it's to the song human uh by christina perry which is perfect for him like it's a wonderful song for him and not a lot of people have vidded him to this which i think is a tragedy and i think this is the whole song because it's three minutes and 40 uh, and 47 seconds long and i got so emotional watching this i love this one and another one of my faves is get it right uh which is the glee original song uh sung by leah michelle that was like actually written for the show it wasn't a cover and that was um done for a vidding tournament uh called mvt i think it was merlin vidding tournament and, and it was for the first round for the character study round and they must have been given merlin and again these are all very very old these videos but this is one minute 18 seconds long so it's not the whole song but again the song is perfect for him and if you've not heard the song it's about um basically every time you make a decision you think it's the right one it turns around and bites you in the ass and you're basically just like when am i going to make a decision that's right and just yeah so lots of very kind of like sad things i could have wrecked some like sassy and i actually i'm i mean i'm gonna be plugging my channel non-stop but if you go to my channel which i will link as well like i've done like little kind of like sassy kind of things for him because i love him and like him being a badass like warlock but um those are like the ones that i feel like fit his character development so yeah that's my rex what about you momo yeah my rex i have two as well one last one from this year's after kamlan big bang and i will admit that i have not read the story that goes with the art because uh for my own reasons but i am a hundred percent convinced that the story is going to be awesome uh mostly because the artist said so and i trust the artist and also because the concept is amazing but i am talking about the king of mars which is a martian au like from the book slash movie the martian au the story is by iva lee and the fan art is by Brolinski, who, of course, is a magician in their own rights with, when it comes to manips and everything. And Rue did so much amazing work for this story. Like, the day before the Big Bang was posted, she put up a mission guide, like a brochure, for, you know, to, to prime you for what's to come the next day. With like uh, a mission description, character introduction, and so much more. And she did manips for all of that. The quality of those manips is amazing. All the work she put into this is incredible. And that's just, you know, the mission guide. And that's already 14 images, which you can download as a PDF. And then on the posting date, 
Brodinski posts more. You have a poster, you have a banner, and then you have like screenshots for the rest of the story. You know, you have well over 20 images for this and rooted so much work and it all looks amazing and such high quality and uh, I cannot recommend it enough and I am absolutely convinced that the story that goes with it or that these are based on is uh, just as incredible. So you definitely should go and check that out if you're at all into science fiction or The Martian. So. That's number one. And the second one is working like in theme with today's episode, Merlin. It's uh, a Merlin-centric reincarnation, well not quite reincarnation story. It's called And Like the Cycle of the Year We Begin Again by Catherine from Philly. It's 209,986 words of author returns fanfic. In the beginning of the story, you have just, you know, Merlin in the 21st century living near Lake Avalon and just a recap, uh, sort of recap or even just, you know, hints at what he's been doing for the last thousand years and how he's lived his life and how he's cycled through identities just to make sure that no one will catch on that he's actually immortal. <laughs> and also, you know, how he misses Arthur and, and, you know, a little bit of just, you know, all this character development that we just uh, talked about in this episode from Merlin. And then, of course, Arthur returns and all the mm -hmm. feelings that, Wonderful. that Merlin has had then and that he still has for Arthur and just what it's like to have Arthur back and, and how different it is from how he imagined, but also how much it is the same and also what i really really enjoy about the story is that the author made a point of when author returns you know he doesn't magically haha -ha, adapt to the 21st century like he doesn't he doesn't speak english he speaks britonic uh so nobody but merlin can can understand him at first Aww. and author can't understand anything either because he doesn't understand the strange language that you know is so unlike the one he speaks and like merlin in in merlin's uh house he built a tower that was exactly like the tower in which arthur lived in camelot so that when arthur returns he would have a place that was familiar to him oh that's wonderful where he could live and and just you know have small changes and adapt slowly to this modern world and not just be thrown into the deep end and it just it's such a gorgeous story of what it could be like if Arthur actually came back and how Merlin would feel about this, how all these conflicting feelings in Merlin that he's always had would come back to him. I need now. to read this. It sounds it's, amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's really, really good. It's it's super long, but it's really good. And as far as I know, um, the author is planning a sequel. Oh, wonderful. So, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's 209,986, so almost 210k. Amazing. Um, it's uh, rated mature because eventually, of course, they do get it together, but it takes a while. It really... That's good, though. really like takes those. a while. Like, there, <laughs> there's a slow burn uh, tag in there, and it's really... it's. 
this story deserves Good. it. Good. It's well applied in this. Um, and yeah, another tag they added is uh, basically the Merlin Series 6 we all needed. And I cannot agree more. This really is the Merlin Season 6 that we all needed uh, and deserve, <laughs> honestly. It's really absolutely gorgeous. So definitely go and read that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Wow, so, that's that's a yeah, long episode, but it's no, it's go. good though, uh, and we, and we really want to hear all your thoughts about Merlin as a character, and if we've missed anything, and what your favorite things are about the character. So reach out to us, give us a talk back. Yeah. Um, tell us what us your right very favorite Merlin pairings are, or yes, what favorite fanfic or fan art yeah. tropes uh, you have that Same. all surround Merlin as a character, and you know. And, uh, and next week's episode is going to be a episode review of Valiant, so we might cover some of the a similar ground, but you know, obviously we're 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 taking it much slower in terms of looking at each individual character trait in every episode but look out for that so yeah that's what we're doing next week if you want to reach out you can email us at merlins.podcast at gmail.com or leave us comments or replies or anything on twitter tumblr or archive of our own we're always called merlisten on any of those so come and talk to us and uh, that's all for this episode uh, i'm miss snowfox and I'm a Motastic, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.